Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. It's the first episode of Everything is Better with Creators, Season 2. And we couldn't be more excited to have Kaya Yura from The Information on board to share her insights. With over 100,000 followers reading her Creator Economy newsletter, Kaya is literally the go-to expert for all things related to business strategies and the Creator Economy ecosystem. And did you know that she speaks fluent Polish? In today's episode, Kaya will shed some light on why we're seeing more and more brands bringing creators on as angel investors and how including creators in the boardroom can help strengthen marketing strategies. Plus, we'll explore how the role of the creator is multidimensional than anyone had ever expected. So sit back, relax, and get ready for an eye-opening journey into the world of creators and the fantastic opportunities that lie ahead. I'm very proud of what you're doing smile for 15 seconds out a day and make the world a better place. Welcome to Everything is Better with Creators, brought to you by Whaler. Join us as we dive into the latest trends, news, and strategies shaping the creator economy and learn how it's driving innovation and change. Each episode, we speak to the experts, creators, and business executives who are driving the future of marketing and commerce. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get smart fast. Oh my God, Kaya up is on the show. Good morning. Hello, hi, Jamie. So excited to be here. This is great. I get to turn the tables on, on you as a journalist. So you're in the hot seat, but I, as I say to all my guests, I will make you cry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I promise. So here's our little icebreaker, and I'm always fascinated to ask this question. What is the last thing you bought that you saw on social? I think the last thing was from an Instagram ad. It was like following me constantly and I finally came. But it's kind of weird. But there are these custom monogram ice cube trays. And I bought them for my husband because she loves everything monogrammed. <laughs> and I really like resisted it, but I got it for him as a gift. The brand is Billy Graham. Um, I haven't tried them yet, so I can't speak to the quality. But like it looks, it looks nice. So, so far, so bad. Well, there you go. You must have a lot of cocktail type or monogram stuff on we your content. Will, we will now. Now we're going to get into cocktail making with our monogram ice cube. Now I know. Now I know what to bring you if I, if I come to your house in real life. You have had quite a year. Uh, 2022 was the year of Kaya Europe and the information, I think. And following up on that, I think it's the year of the creator. Let's see if that's true. 
for everybody that is listening, you're the expert. So what is your definition of the creator economy? Yeah, it's funny because people define it in different ways. Like I think at a basic level, it's a relatively new model where people can build an online following around themselves or content genre and then hopefully be able to make money from that. Um, When I think about kind of the broader creator economy, it's the creators themselves, it's the big social platforms they use, it's the startups that are catering to them, it's advertisers, it's companies like Wheeler, it's, you know, the videographer, the assistants, this whole ecosystem. And I think it's really starting to encompass more and more people. Whereas maybe four years ago, we would have said like Instagram influencer, YouTube, YouTube creator, maybe podcaster. And now it's like journalists going off on their own and doing some stacks and newsletters it's VCs teaching online courses like everyone almost has to be a creator in a different way <laughs> um, but it's definitely much broader than just kind of the typical influencer. So that's part two because people ask us all the time and I have a speed round that I, I do with people and I'm like okay affiliate influencer creator do you have a distinction for those three categories? I kind of view them interchangeably but I guess with an influencer you're more influencing them to either do something or buy something. You might rely more on brand partnerships, whereas you could be a creator who isn't really pushing a lot of merch or pushing a lot of product, but you're, I don't know, creating something. But I kind of use them interchangeably. I don't know if I see a huge distinction anymore, because even if people that are making videos are creators and ultimately do influence people's behaviors or what they do. So I, I think they're one and the same, but... Other people have strong opinions about that. We all do. I actually, I, I'll just say, here's our, our little, a little bit of friendly spark. I think influencers are more like guns for hire. They don't necessarily create. They create an audience. And they're a little bit more guns for hire. And I think people are, less, are a little less emotionally connected to them in terms of the trust factor. And I think creators have more craft and they're more storytellers. But we'll see. And affiliates, I find fascinating. Like Walmart has Walmart Creator. And that's an affiliate program. And so I find that if there's a lot of interchangeable words, but the concept of influencer marketing versus the creator economy, there is a big distinction. And I find that brands get stuck on it. If it's called influencer, I think it ends up in the PR or the social media department uh, versus being viewed in a marketing stack as a strategy. That's the that's a little bit of the journey that we're seeing, at least in the brand. I, I don't know if that comes up, but, you know, that's a that's how we're looking at it. The one thing I would add, though, is I think TikTok has changed this because creators are being so creative with bringing in brands to videos where like when we think of influencer marketing, it's very like product placement. Like I think about the peak bachelor era when like every single contestant would be doing diff eyewear and like dummy vitamins for their hair like everyone was doing that and it was just this very clear product placement whereas now creators are like creating these gifts and characters and bringing the brand in like that's where i see kind of the the merging of like the influencer creator yeah well i mean or like american idol when they had coke sitting on the right on the desk like that's that's product placement and they're influencing but there there's such a massive evolution and bullishly is 2023 the year of the creator and if it is, why? And if it isn't, why not? Maybe maybe take it from, from that way. I mean, I think since 2020, it's been the year of the creator. I mean, creators have been around since the beginning of the internet, arguably, right? So 
But I think now the pandemic and the rise of TikTok added this legitimacy to it, where even we didn't even use the word creator economy before the pandemic. And now that's really stuck. Like we would call YouTube creators creators, but I now I don't really remember calling Instagram, we would say Instagram influencer. And now it feels like creators really infiltrated. And because TikTok has just minted this new generation of creators and and made all these other platforms really focus more on creators, whereas before Instagram didn't have any direct monetization, right, for years. Um, so it, it just feels like we're on like year three of this is the year of creators, in my opinion. So it's a, it's an extended year, just like because of the pandemic, I think all concept of a, what a year is has has morphed into something that the, the time more, but I, I don't even know. So I'm a little bit remiss for people who, I don't know, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Kaya is and you don't know the information, uh, which I, I'm surprised, I, I don't know how that would be possible, but could you give us a little bit, I just want to back up and ask you a little bit about how did you come to the information? How did this evolve? Where did your interest go, you know, evolve from? And, and how did you really, because congratulations, by the way, 100,000 uh, subscribers on your newsletter. That's a pretty... Thank you. Welcome. It's the water cooler moment for the creator economy. But get, what's the background? So I've been a full-time journalist since 2015. I went to school in DC and I wanted to be a journalist for a long time, studied journalism. And I always just thought I would be a political journalist. That felt like that was the path. Um, but I, I did some internships at CNN on the TV side. That was kind of the track I was going for. Um, I ended up going into business journalism. I started with that internship at Bloomberg News and then worked at the street. And I was writing about stocks at like gold prices and oil, like totally unrelated to what I do now. But I think what was really helpful about being a generalist is then I got to cover all sorts of different industries and companies and then decide, oh, wow, I'm really interested in tech. And then from tech, it went into social media. Um, and I ended up going back to CNN on the digital side and covered big tech and social media companies. Um, it was still general. So I was covering, you know, privacy issues at Facebook and new iPhones and also um, trying to work in more creator angles. So I wrote about YouTuber burnout, the plight of trans creators on YouTube several years ago um, before there was kind of mainstream coverage. Besides the New York Times and Taylor Lorenz, like it wasn't really a beat that reporters were really dedicated to until recently. Um, and when I started job posting for the information of someone to focus on the creator economy, I was super excited about that opportunity. So I came on in April 2021. So coming up on two years um, to launch the newsletter, we launched it within two weeks of me coming on, which is crazy. <laughs> um, and it was really the idea was to cover the business and the creator economy. I was because there has been definitely internet culture reporting and entertainment reporting on it. But until recently, there haven't been a lot of focus on the business side and how these platforms are competing. And the pandemic just really added fuel uh, to that. Well, all eyes are on the platforms and big tech and there's there's so much opportunity and yet there's also a lot of issues. And, and I think that this is an exciting time. In a way, I, we kind of look at it as it's the gold rush of creativity. In the original gold rush you know, in 1849, the only people that made money were the people that were selling the picks and the axes and the denim a, a la Levi Strauss. So the the goal here, I think, and there's a lot of discussion about how to make sure that creators are benefiting from this. And everybody obviously knows Mr. Beast on one end, and he's clearly forging a whole new path. But there's a, you write about it a lot, the, the issue of like, I think you even said there's a debate about how to pay creators. And the question is, why, why is there even a debate? Like, could you break it down, like how the different platforms, their philosophies are approaching it? And you can either 
editorialize or just be fact based. Feel feel free to take your own <laughs> your own approach here. Well, I feel like I need to be fact based on the journalist though, but I will kind of talk high level. Um, I think for a long time, you know, platforms like Instagram didn't really have to pay creators because because there wasn't that expectation of okay, I come onto Instagram and there's ways to make money. Creators just built around it and were able to strike brand partnerships and make money in different ways. YouTube was really the one that pioneered this idea. They launched their partner program back in 2007, which is crazy to think about. So they've been doing ad revenue sharing since then. And since then, they've rolled out. I think they have 10 different ways to monetize now. Memberships and tipping and all this different stuff. But I think it was really TikTok and TikTok's rise that forced all these other platforms to rethink their creator strategy because they realized, wait, it's so hard now for a creator to go viral on YouTube or Instagram and build a following quickly. And TikTok was just doing this left and right. And even established creators were really spending more time on TikTok because they're able to reach a new audience. It's a new creative format. It's fun. The algorithm knows you. My colleague Sylvia and I uh, recently did some reporting specifically about Instagram, TikTok as well. But there has been this resistance from the other platforms to do ad revenue sharing. The thinking at Instagram and Meta was, once you roll that out, it's very hard to take it back. I mean, it would be, can you imagine if YouTube just decided to stop doing tests? Like it would be mayhem. The other companies kind of look at YouTube and say, well, they have Google and Alphabet backing them, right? Like for Meta, advertising is their core business and Instagram and Facebook and, you know, WhatsApp are their main platforms and that's what makes money. So if they're going to suddenly get away more than half of their revenue, what does that mean for the bottom line? Our reporting also showed that Cheryl Sandberg was one of the people that was really anti doing any sort of um, ad revenue sharing on their main feeds. I mean, they've done it with Facebook Watch. They've done these different programs and they've dabbled in it, but they haven't done it in a meaningful way like YouTube. But I do think with YouTube's fourth now rolling out ad revenue sharing, it's going to put some pressure on these other platforms. And um, at TikTok, there was a lot of resistance from Chinese leadership who said, well, on Douyin, which is the Chinese version of TikTok, we haven't had to do ad revenue sharing. So why do we have to do it in the US? And again, it's the same resistance of once we do this, it's really hard to take it back. (laughs) It's giving up a lot of revenue, frankly. So that's been a problem. And I think, you know, for more than 10 years, creators have been able to make a living off these platforms indirectly. So they didn't really feel the pressure until now to to really start considering this more seriously. Well, from a a huge tech perspective, they're feeling a lot of pressure everywhere. The danger or the challenge is the creators are, in a lot of ways, sometimes we describe them as being very adept and talented community leaders. You don't want to piss off creators. That's a fans and creators. They, they do not, you, you don't want to mess with them. And I, it's really interesting. Like one of the examples that I love pointing out is the Dungeons and Dragons fiasco recently about they didn't really whether they rolled it back or not, talk about, you know, taking a misstep. And it's very hard when you have a fandom or a group of people who are really vocal to be able to manage changing opinions and all this. I do not envy them. Let's just talk about the tech world for a second, because I find it so interesting that Google and YouTube obviously have a creator strategy. Microsoft, Salesforce, Adobe, they seem like where is that? And I know I know we didn't really talk about this before, but I find that fascinating because this is this seems like a space that they should evolve into, but haven't haven't yet. I think every company on some level, at least on maybe the influencer marketing side, is they're trying to involve creators in some way. Like 
you didn't mention Dow, but like Dow has a partnership with corporate Natalie. I don't know if you see her videos, but she's very funny and she pokes fun kind of at the nine to five lifestyle. And she's had this ongoing partnership with Dow for computers and it totally works for that. But I can see how that wouldn't be like the sexiest partnership for like a beauty influencer or like a creator kind of in a different category. What's interesting about Adobe is they've actually started doing a lot more research into the creator economy. So it seems like that's been their play where they've had these big research reports come out recently. They did one around holiday shopping as well and creators. So that's it's been interesting to see them approach it in a totally different way by trying to provide some data. The thing about Salesforce that's interesting too is there's all these startups that are trying to be like the CRM yes. for creator campaigns. And it's like, oh, we're the Salesforce for, you know, creator partnerships or whatever it is. So it, I wouldn't be interested to see Salesforce just do that themselves. They already have software, right? And that's really where I'm thinking about it as a scaled play and where business comes in. And that's, I think, the next generation of creators is the opportunity to do this at scale. And that really going to be the driver of true growth for everybody. It can be a really sexy CRM because it's personalization and it's at scale and it's global and it's diverse and it's highly creative. The giants don't seem to be really accepting it. But but then again, there's so many companies that are still looking at this as a tactic and it's not being embraced, even though there seems to be two worlds, right? The world of people, marketing, tech, et cetera, that see this as a huge opportunity in the future. And then there are the brands and marketers that are still waiting on the sidelines. What do you what do you hear in your world about what delaying the embracing of this versus connected TV? I mean, that's the argument I always have with people and we can get into that. But what's your thinking there? I think it's because social media moves so fast. So I remember hearing on, you know, meta earnings calls about, you know, the shift to stories and vertical video. And that was hard for brands because they couldn't just slot in their typical advertising. But even that transition to stories was easier than to short form video. So I think right now the big challenge is you know, these companies trying to have a TikTok strategy because short form video is a totally different animal. It requires so much more creativity and editing and the trends move so fast. And you see this all the time where brands trying to like hop on a trend and it's like, oh, you're a, you're a day too late, right? So I think that's really the challenge. And whenever there's new platforms and new formats, you have some of the early movers that jump on it. And then you have so many of the incumbents who are like, well, We've done TV forever and this is what we know and it's harder to make that leap. And I don't know why, but people seem to think it's either or. And Will, we're not saying either or, it's and. And I, and I feel that the ability to scale, the ability to tap into that creativity and tap into, you know, big scaled broadcast, whatever that might be, whether it's traditional or CTV or even just digital, it's the combination that's going to be powerful, not either or. You know, it used to be a, a big brands needed TV commercials that could go out, launch their products because there was an audience and it was a big audience and that you had women 25 to 54 that you needed to reach. You still need to do that, but you also need to develop a short form video strategy that reaches segments and segments are not based on demographics. They're based on fandom or affinity or passion points. And I think that's where the the benefit comes if you can do both, but it's definitely not easy. And I think 
the institutions are not making it easy to change. Because that's what we see. Yeah, no, I, I, I echo that too. Hey, listeners, hang tight. We're not going anywhere. Our Everything is Better with Creators podcast will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. In terms of like some of the big topics that you guys are covering, there's all obviously a lot of talk of creators building their own brands and endorsing products. And I see a lot of VC pitches for funding to find a product, match it with a creator and do sort of a Mr. Beast-esque scaled play. And there's the word scale again. Are you seeing a slowdown, a, a buildup of that? What, what's your perspective on the creator as a product developer? Yeah, it's so interesting because we've seen food be a really big category. So you men- mentioned Mr. Beast Burger, David Dobrik is making a comeback and has his pizza joy. There's different startups that are helping facilitate that as well through ghost kitchens where you can kind of have this branded food. But I think there is this desire from creators. They realize they're really powerful media brands within themselves. And, you know, does it really matter if you're plugging this energy drink or that energy drink? Probably not. But what if you can just make your own energy drink? It's interesting to see creators. One, it's a way to get them out of the hamster wheel of constantly creating content. And if we look at people like Rihanna, she didn't become a billionaire because of her singing career. It's because of Fenty Beauty. And I think creators are seeing that of like, one, they probably don't want to be on social media forever and constantly be in the frat race. So to be able to extend and create something and create something offline is really exciting. I always point to Summer Fridays, um, the beauty brand uh, co-founded by Mariana Hewitt and Lauren Ireland. And they've done a fantastic job of building a standalone brand. Of course, it's associated with them, but it's not like Summer Fridays by them. It's its own thing. Some people don't even know the association, but they've been really savvy about marketing it on social media. I found it because my friends were posting about the jet lag map. The face mask. They're very good about tapping into their social media expertise, but also building things that can stand alone beyond itself. And we've seen that in the celebrity space too. I mean, I remember like the cheesiest perfumes that you see at TJ Maxx that like had like, you know, ex celebrity of the time on it. And now if you look at like what the Kardashians are doing with Gims and all this other stuff, it's a totally different ballgame. So I think there is this desire from creators. I mean, they're entrepreneurs, and this is just another extension of that to, to build a standalone brand. I love the distinction they're entrepreneurs. That's what we say to to brands all the time. We're trying to explain how to work with them. They're they're not actors. 
they are business people and they're entrepreneurs and they're savvy because the thing that they know better than anybody is their audience. And why not tap into that, which is where I think the product opportunity comes into. And so you bring up another topic that I think might be worth delving into for people that are listening is the mental health issue for creators, because we've it's come up kind of in the last couple of minutes again. I don't think people realize it's not easy to be a creator. And, and that is, you know, it's not easy to be Rihanna. But it's also not easy to be a creator. Being creative on on demand on a regular basis is is challenging, exhausting. Are you hearing about burnout still? Or are you hearing about the 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 need to get off the hamster wheel all the time? I mean, it's been something that five years ago when I was talking to creators, it was very prevalent, and we're starting to talk about it more. But it's interesting because there's kind of two camps of creators that I talk to when interviewing them on the record. You know, some of them are, are like, I don't really want to talk about burnout on the record. Like, I feel like I'm an entertainer. And part of that is just being super positive on social media and like not letting kind of that curtain down with their audiences. But then other creator, and it's funny, we have this like really upbeat conversation about their business and their content. And then I ask them like, oh, do you ever feel burnt out? And it's immediately this like, oh, oh my God, all the time. I'm burnt out today, right? Like, And both can be true at the same time. And and I think there's this feeling too from creators of like, I'm really lucky to be able to do this. I'm lucky to be able to have this audience to be able to talk about something I'm passionate about. So they almost feel bad that they're having struggles with it. But I, and I do think that I see a lot of parallels between the gig economy and the creator economy. And we had very different conversations about the two of them. Where with the gig economy, I remember getting into Ubers and Uber, like 2011, and Uber drivers are like, this is amazing. I set my own hours. Like I'm making all this money. Uber's giving me these bonuses. And then fast forward, we're having these discussions of whether Uber drivers or contractors or should be employees of these companies. And I don't think we're far off from having that with creators where like they're getting a check from Alphabet for their YouTube assets. Like, aren't they some sort of contractor, you know, in a way for YouTube, but they don't have any benefits. You know, there's been issues, too, where they don't feel like they can step away. They don't want to become irrelevant. They don't want to fall out of the algorithm. It's it's really tough. And it's a tough challenge for the platforms to tackle because the incentives are not aligned. They need engagement. If you're not posting and you fall off the algorithm, the platform doesn't really care. There's a million other creators that are posting that day. So I think there's been like little tweaks that are positive, like on LinkedIn and Instagram, you can schedule posts in advance. So like you can schedule an Instagram reel. So maybe let's say you go on vacation and you can actually be offline for a week. But it doesn't really solve like the overarching problem of always having to be on. And then too, like you're really not going to be responding to the comments and all that stuff. So it's tricky. And I think creators are looking for ways to be able to to kind of be able to take breaks in a way that doesn't offend their business. The team at YouTube, though, says and they swear that the algorithm does not penalize you for taking breaks. So, you know, I, I'd like to believe them. I'd like to think that that's a same thing. And that, but that's what they say. And they say, but nobody believes them. There's these persistent conspiracy theories from one creators of like, you joined the TikTok creator fund and now I'm shadow banned and my engagement goes down. Like the platform can say as many times as they want that they don't do that. Creators are convinced of it. So, and two, like, it's hard to make a blanket statement like that for every creator. And maybe they have kind of looked at their algorithm and tried to prevent against that. But there certainly have been creators several years ago that I talked to that were like, it took me a year to get back to the engagement level I was when I took time off. And I think, it's you know, it's not just falling out of the algorithm. It's also 
having your audience forget about you. And I know creators are like, I know that's not true, but it happens all the time too, where suddenly I, I'm just not seeing that creator in my feed. And I'm like, wait, did they stop posting? And no, they're posting, but for whatever reason, they're not showing up in my algorithms. There's all these things that creators have to consider and think about. And there is just this pressure to constantly be on. I thought it was interesting when I was hearing from people who on Snap, where it's kind of the most money, technically the least effort, that seems to be picking up, which, you know, love hearing that there's, you know, life in Snap, uh, especially for creators, but they're I'm, I hear great things about the financial opportunities. So, but we also, I think there's this, the, there's sort of the dirty side of the creator economy where there's a lot of bad actors in terms of management. There's a lot of challenges in terms of people who don't have management and don't know their worth or the, the discrepancy between, is it followers or engage? There's all these like crazy metrics. Do you, when you talk to creators, what's the the vibe in terms of having a professional manager? I assume that if they're talking to you, they're at that level already. But is there anything that you're hearing that gives you pause or hope about the future of, of the talent side and being taken care of by management? So I'm always amazed because I'll talk to creators who have been doing this for 10 years and have never had a manager and do it all themselves. And then I talk to people who went viral on TikTok three months ago and have a manager. So there's so much variety. I think it's very individual to the creator. I mean, I think once you hit a certain income, I don't think it's really correlated with followers because you can have really high engagement and build this really niche community and not have a massive following. I think it's more up to the creator of like, if they want, because some of them are like, some of them have managers and then fire managers because they're like, why am I taking, why are I letting someone take 20% when I'm getting all this inbound and I kind of can't go at myself? There's a lot of variety, but I think there have been really, you know, bad management situations that have kind of scarred creators when they go through different, different managers. So I think it depends kind of where the creator is at you know, in terms of their business. And there's people too that have relatively small followings and they like employ seven people. And I'm like, this is crazy. Whereas other people, it's just a one person show. So there's almost no, like, I wish I could say once you have like 200,000 followers, you need a manager or all the creators I talk to, but there's so much variety in it. And two people kind of come and go within management too, where they're like, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to kind of date this person and see if this works out. So it, it really depends. It's still it's still so early. I was listening last night again to the podcast about when Reed was talking about managing Mr. Beast when he first met Jimmy and, and how he started as a sports agent. And then he had Dude Perfect. And it was so interesting how they started it as that relationship. And obviously that worked very well. Uh, but it's no different than the traditional talent side anyway. But one of the things that we're seeing you know, going to the sort of the future of the creator economy is the the lack of, I guess it's acceptance. I don't know. It sounds like a political thing with traditional creative geniuses, like the creative directors of big creative agencies, the holding companies. And we are trying to be very vocal with Can Lions and, and ask, you know, we're really trying to get them to embrace the creator economy as an integrated part of the creative execution in the agency world. And I know you you know this, that we recently created a new position. Ashley Rudders, our chief creator officer, 
And our goal there is to take care of the creators and help them with their craft and to really help them, even especially the ones that don't have management, to really hone their skills. Are you seeing a a shift into the craft, like the creators that you talk to trying to professionalize their creativity, almost like if you were a, a young person today, I mean, if you were a young person 15 years ago, you probably would have gone to a big creative agency. Now you don't have to because you can be your own independent creator and have your own business. So you don't have to be an employee. But the trade-off is that when you're working at a creative agency, you get to kind of apprentice and learn all the skills and the craft. So there's a bit of a, a, a challenge there. So we're seeing it play out in different ways. I don't know if this is something that you're seeing or hearing from the legacy industry creatives. There are a few things that I see. One is using their social media following to then break into traditional kind of mediums like acting or trying to do other things. And what's interesting, though, is sometimes their individual followings are more powerful than like what a traditional like media company is reaching at this point. Um, but there is kind of that legitimacy of wanting to break into kind of a traditional field. And they've said that social media has really helped them get auditions, get noticed. The other thing I'm seeing, too, is them really honing those skills behind the scenes. So it used to be that a brand or a startup or whatever would be like, I just really want you to promote this product. Whereas now startups are bringing creators on as investors, as angel investors. And it might be like a small check of $1,000, but they have them on their cap table. They're using them not just for marketing efforts, but for real strategy on the creative, on the product itself. So I'm seeing a lot of consulting work being more popular. Um, and even some creators saying, you know, I, I do want to keep my social media following, but I think like I could really help brands with XYZ. A lot of plus size creators have worked with brands on more inclusive sizing and have helped them kind of behind the scenes on different things. So I think there's so much possibility here. And there is sort of still this like, I feel like influencer became this dirty word. And then we kind of moved to creator because it it doesn't have the legitimacy of like Netflix put a stamp on this or whatever it is. But, you know, these there's no gatekeepers. The audience decided that there that there is something about this person and some Hollywood agent didn't have to approve that. So there's always, I think, from the incumbents, a little bit of stress when when things are getting disrupted like that. But you're seeing, right, like Netflix produced the, sh the show about the hype house. Charlie DiMaggio has a whole, you know, her whole family has a Hulu show. These lines are really being blurred. And the fact that we even call like Charlie D'Amelio still like a TikTok star in every story, like it's just not really true anymore. Like she is a, a real celebrity. She's a reality TV star. You know, they have a venture business now. They're building their own brand. So the lines are just blurring. And I, I don't know that in like five to 10 years, we're going to be calling people YouTubers. We're just going to say that they're entrepreneurs, entertainers, whatever it is that we use for kind of the, the traditional stars as well. Do the eye rolls from I we I live in LA, so my friends in the entertainment business, the the eye rolling is is I can feel it. I can just feel it symbolically. Well, I mean, or like you look at uh, Emma Chamberlain's the face of Lancome. Yeah, because it used to be it was it was models, and then it went to actresses, and now it's creators, and and that's another area where people are eye rolling. But that's. That's who people care about. That, that's the relevancy. But you bring up a good point and just as sort of a, um, a final topic and then we'll, I'll, we'll do our speed round of sink, sail, swim, put you on the spot. The collapsing of that process, because as you said earlier on, social works 
so quickly and brands can't react as fast as they need to. Dunk in the Dark hasn't happened in the creator world, really. Cranberry juice became very popular when that happened. But, you know, it's it, it's hard to pick up on that. But what is interesting, and we are seeing this more, is bringing creators, as my colleague Ashley always says, off the mood board and into the boardroom. So if you are ideating, as you said, and doing focus groups and consulting with the creators, it collapses that distance. And they're the communities you're trying to reach. So why not source the ideas and the stories directly from them? That to me seems like the best business strategy of all. And it's an area where we're trying to spend more time. And I I constantly explain this to my friends that are in, in marketing. It's like you have this process where it's focus group, testing, go out to the marketplace, just bring them in. Bring them in and listen to them. I, I don't. I don't know what the fear factor is. So that's we're on a bit of a crusade to do that as well. It's a, it's a really good. It's a really good It's so simple. It, it really is so simple. Maybe the margin isn't good. I I don't know. We like it. We're seeing a lot of. I mean, every woman I know that ever has their first kid has a inspiration about all the new products and services that they think should be there. And there are other life stages where you do that. Creators do this all day long, and they're also talking to their audience. And they, the really good ones, listen to their audience and see what's out there or what they need. And that's the greatest focus group ever of millions on a day to day basis. Okay, so I know you have to go and write lots of important stories and keep us all educated and inspired. Let's talk about sink, sail, and swim. So sink, what do you see as not working right now in the creator economy? Like what's a fail? So two things. I mean, we addressed it with burnout. I think that it's the, no one has really been able to address that in a real way. I think too, we're in this moment where we're in the hangover period a little bit from like the venture capital boom startup cycle of 2021 into 2022, where there was just this explosion of startups that really were trying to set out to solve really legitimate pain points for creators. But it just was this like huge hype cycle. So I think some of the, it's ironic because like the picks and shovels are supposed to make the money. But I think that hasn't really totally happened in the creator economy. Where like, if you look at like a company like Patreon, right? Like they've been an OG in the space and their business has really struggled. They saw a huge pandemic boom and now their business has had a tough time. So I think just like, the venture hype cycle around startups in the creator economy. We just got to a point where like we have more than 40 LinkedIn bio startups and like that's that's just crazy. There there really doesn't need to be a 40 of them. Same thing with like, you know, everyone was trying to build like the 10th for the 10th, a hundredth version of Patreon, right? So I do think some of these startups were trying to address these real pain points, but it's still really early on in their business and so much money was poured into this space. And I, I don't know how many of these startups are really going to ultimately be like the next big publicly traded company. You probably were too young to be around for the original dot-com boom. Everybody had to have a website company. There were, yes, everybody yeah. had a website company. So I think there's a, there's a connection to the history of that. Uh, and, you know, toys.com and, there was a lot of them. That was funny. I think I used to still have some of those t-shirts. All right, Sale, like what's what's next? Like what should we be looking for? The one thing that I'm really interested in is this idea of translating your content easily into other languages. So I think Mr. Beast has been a pioneer of this where 
I've been thinking about this a lot with Netflix. Like they have been really successful at dubbing their existing content. Like I I watched this like French show the other day that was perfectly dubbed. You know, Squid Games, obviously. Like there's so many examples of this where they've been able to do that successfully. And I'm really interested in kind of how this plays into the creator economy. And, you know, there's some startups that I think are trying to, to do this now, but is there an easy way to dub your content? And then it's good for the platform. It's good for the creators and they can reach these bigger global audiences. I think that's interesting. And then, of course, like, I can't believe we've done this whole podcast without being generative AI. <laughs> yeah, I try not to. <laughs> that, I'm that, trying not to. <laughs> but that, I think, is the hot, you know, it was Creator Economy Web 3, now it's generative AI, at least in kind of the VC startup world. But I do think there might be interesting use cases. I mean, we've heard this both on the Alphabet and Meta earnings calls most recently. Both the CEOs said, like, we're looking at generative AI and how it can empower creators. I mean, really light on details, but... You know, if there's really interesting video editing software, just like ChatGPT, if it can like spit out a YouTube video for you based on your footage, and then you can go in and like perfect it, like that could really save creators lots of time. Um, so I think things like that that make it faster and easier for creators to be able to do various things using AI is super fascinating. We'll see what materializes from that. We unfortunately might be at a new hype cycle of generative AI, but. There is a precedent for that. And Adobe has made it so that creatives don't have to spend hours looking for the perfect photo. So there is precedent. And the simplicity is they can spend their time on the creativity, not on the slog work and resizing photos, et cetera. So I, I think that might not be such a hype cycle. I, I'm, I'm going to look for that. I don't know. Maybe Canva has something coming out. And then what are you super excited about right now that you think is it's here? It's so cool. You tell people about it. Anything that's just completely swimming? I mean, I think just this community also became this buzzword, but I think it's so fascinating to me. It felt like being a creator had to be centered around you and your personality. And now that's changed where you can build this community around some niche thing and it doesn't have to be about you and you can monetize that and have this really amazing you know, group of people. There's a creator who is named Jonathan Hyla and he has a whole community around ADHD creative. And he does like Zoom office hours where people could like just kind of co-work together. He does a membership service, all this stuff. And it's not about him. He's someone that's a filmmaker and has ADHD, but he's able to bring all these people together in an online forum. So I think just like the shifting definition of who is a creator and it not having to be so personality driven all the time of like, we can really build these communities. And that's a huge part of you know, the success of creators too, because it, it's crowded now, right? Like, you can't just be like a millionth lifestyle creator. Like there has to be something compelling and different about you. And community really gives creators that edge of like, if they have an engaged fan base of community and uh, the world, their oyster. I love that so much. That's the creator as a community leader idea. And it really is about the community. 66% of people say their purchase decisions are based not on the creator, but on the community and what they're recommending. And people look in the comments and I think that that's a, a force to that people are going to harness. I, I thought you were going to talk about your favorite cheese creator, your cheese board. Oh, I know, creator. I love her. That's a good one, though. That's a very practical one. Well, Kaya, thank you so much for taking time. I always learn so much when I talk to you. Appreciate your time. And um, oh, last plug because by when this when this airs, um, it'll get closer. You've got your big summit coming up in LA. Yes. We do. Uh, we've, we've done these virtual summits because of the pandemic. So first time, April 20th in Los Angeles, we're bringing together different people in the space from investors to creators to founders. Uh, very excited to be hosting that soon. 
That's going to be the Academy Awards, I think, of the creator economy. It's Davos, the Academy Awards. It's all rolled into one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited. It's in my own backyard. So you're, that, that'll, be your, that'll be your next big moment. It'll be exciting. So thank you so much for being with us today, Kaya. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Everything is Better with Creators is honored to be part of the Adweek Podcast Network and the Acast Creator Network. And we're so grateful for your support. So if you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button. And if you have a moment, we'd really appreciate a rating and a review. up with all things whaler and the latest in the creator economy check us out at whaler.com and follow us on instagram twitter and linkedin i'm jamie goodfriend signing off for now we'll catch you next time with another episode of everything is better with creators powered by whaler thanks so much for tuning in hey there podcast fam are you ready to break free from the social media rut hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you meet viral growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.